everybody, and welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hi, everybody. Wearing a very cool hat. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty unique. Is that signed by somebody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, was it the Red Devils? Red Devils? Yeah. So it's Axel Merckx, his... Uh, Oh, his academy, right? Yeah, junior junior cycling academy. So basically, their their intent is just to get kids on bikes, not necessarily to pursue it from a performance angle. Yeah, and they're apparently the biggest youth cycling club in BC. And it's signed by Axel Merckx. That's right. Was it signed? Awesome. Yeah, probably the coolest name ever. Axel yeah. Marks. Yeah, I yeah. Know, right? <laughs> and that's our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. Uh, we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today, ones that you've submitted, and you can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast. You can join all of us, uh, whether you're a listener of the podcast or a cyclist or triathlete, anything else, a person just likes to dig into the analytical side of cycling at forum.trainerroad.com. And in fact, if you go there now and you search for episode 183, you will find a post that's actually dedicated to this and producer Ian will be pushing things up. Up right now, as we talk, you'll be sharing links or photos or anything else. And we'll have discussions there based on this episode. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, and you can also join us live. Right now, people are joining us. It's almost always every Thursday at 8 a.m. Next week will actually be a day earlier on Wednesday. Um, but it's usually Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. And you can join us on Facebook and YouTube. And you can ask some live questions. And we, then we usually take some time after we record the podcast to kind of off the cuff just have some fun answering those questions. So. Join us live. We'd love that. Uh, with that, I think the first thing that we should get into is talking about all the things that we've been releasing. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, trainerroad.com, you can find out everything that we do there if you're just stumbling across this podcast here. Uh, and we focus on making people faster through our software. Uh, and we've released a bunch of new features around our calendar. Um, we kind of want to talk about those, right? We have a or training calendar launched and we have a whole bunch of features coming out. And the ones that we've done recently... You can now copy workouts. There's a little duplicate button. It's going to change to say copy, but Super it's up there. Because I have helpful. a weekend ride that I basically repeat every time. And now I don't have to recreate it every time. Mm-hmm. I can just, yeah. Exactly. Sandy. Um, <laughs> we've also added the ability to do some stuff right there from the calendar. So editing your TSS, if you don't, like if you don't have a, uh, a power meter, you can estimate your TSS for a ride right there on the calendar. You can also edit some details right there in the calendar, like change the FTP. That's handy if you, uh, uh, have like a different indoor and outdoor FTP. We don't recommend that, but some people do it. So you can, if you click on it, there's a little like edit button now in there. Um, You can also exclude it from personal records if you want. Uh, You can move the plan starts around. So the plan starts are no longer connected to the first workout in the plan. And what was happening is uh, you could apply a trainer plan to your calendar. And then the first week you could say, well, I'm not going to actually do this outside. And you could like make those outside workouts. Mm. But what would happen is the plan start would like follow the first trainer would work out in that plan. So it would get moved down. Got it. So now it's just like an annotation. Um, it means it's just a little block that you can click and drag and put anywhere you want. We've also gone through your history and added all the plan starts to your calendar. So mm-hmm. you can see all of those. Um, there's not at the moment a very good way to see it uh, like all at once. But if you go into forum.trainer.com, I have a post in there where uh, a soon-to-be-released feature where you can see all your plans and races on the TSS chart at top, like over time, and that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also copy and paste a week. So if you've got like a recovery week or, um, I don't know, any kind of week that you like, you can copy and paste it, and you can also move a week. I did that to extend uh, a peak 
for me. Uh, so basically I looked at it and I have, I end one week before nationals cause nationals is slightly later than I thought. Yep. So I went in and I pushed that and then copied that, that taper week of the specialty plan right in. Yeah. And you could also, Chad, couldn't you like, would you say if someone wants to extend something, like let's say they want to extend a build, would they copy the, maybe the, the fifth week or the seventh week or something, or would you copy the first week? So you have like, almost like a longer taper or kind of how you feel. You could, yeah. You could go anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just duplicate it and maybe even just bump up the workout versions in the, in the subsequent weeks sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It might be like, uh, if you're feeling particularly fatigued at the end of this thing, you might not want to copy the hardest week. Yeah. Uh, you could do the first week then or the second uh, week. Yeah. Uh -huh. Totally. Just don't copy the ramp test. Like yeah. <laughs> replace that one. You don't want to do the ramp test right uh, on the yeah. last week. Yeah. No point. Um, and also the top, the TSS chart now is collapsable for more room. So if oh, you're nice. on a small monitor, you click a little button and it collapses and it remembers that between that's more, more of a, it's both, um, looking at history and trends and also navigation, but sometimes you don't need that. You just want to see your current week. So now that goes up and down. We've got so many more exciting things that we're working on that I, I know, but you can't talk about. We, <laughs> we just want to share. Yeah. All of it. Um, anyways, uh, Nate, when you were gone, we took the liberty of how well, so we had Pete on the podcast and we chat and yeah. we took the liberty of, of laying out talking some trash <laughs> worst episode ever <laughs> about the 24 hours in the old Pueblo, which is coming up. It's an epic rides race. Yeah. That's really our first like target event uh, for the year. We're all looking forward to it. It's going to be a ton of fun, even though Chad and I have done a relay race. And I think that we just drove back across the Utah, Nevada desert in total silence. Cause it was so rough. Pretty draining. Um, we're excited for this one. I think you like, in it's going to be different, you know, in Nevada, recreational marijuana is legal. And I think you guys were high <laughs> when you had this thing. Uh, <laughs> it was not. No, <laughs> I've got a lot of problems with you no. people. And you're going to hear about them right now. <laughs> All right. So okay. this is going to be you laying out. You're going to pick well, apart our rebuttals. Strategy. Yes. Okay. First it's, I know it was a few episodes ago, but I took notes. Um, <laughs> so one thing you guys said is, and I was in a hotel room, like listening to this live, I think. And I was like, fuming the whole I, like, time. What are you guys talking about? Like, <laughs> Uh, it's a mission success then. Good job. First fired thing, him up. Yeah. Talking about who's going to go first. <laughs> Obviously, it's Jonathan. None of us are going to be faster than Jonathan. Jonathan Pretty is like a super fast mountain bike starter. He's out of the four of us, too. You have to run a little bit. You're the fastest runner. Yeah. Like, you you can start. Quick. It's a Le Mans start. That meaning you have to run to your bike. Yep. And it's mm -hmm. a fairly long run, right? I don't know. I don't think it's that long. I don't know. Maybe a, a couple hundred yards or something. Yeah. For so. those who don't know, 24 hours on a Pueblo too is a 24 hour mountain bike race where we're going to switch off laps. Laps are probably going to be about 110 for us. Yeah. Uh, an hour, 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in there. And it tends to, it's not like a, you, you kind of a drag, you kind of go downhill ish, but very gradually for the first half. And then you go uphill ish gradually for the second half. Um, there's no crazy, like super steep climbs or anything like that. Um, so it's a more constant power. Uh, there's nothing that's overly technical about the course too, which is probably good on a 24 hour race. You yeah, don't want something yeah, that's really sure. gnarly. Yeah. Um, and it's also, it's known for like, definitely it's known for, for the party surrounding it too. And just the fun event atmosphere. So it's like, it's a, it's a fun event where people go and they take it super seriously. Other people just have a ton of fun. Uh, but like, it's, it's kind of like Burning Man meets bikes. It's a pop-up city in the middle of the desert. There will you know? be no fun on our team. So <laughs> just kidding. Um, what? Uh, we were going to enter the corporate division, but then looking at the results, the corporate division looks like it's like teams of seven, like, or eight. Yeah. Like, you can kind of have whatever size team yeah, you doesn't want. doesn't appear to be a It seems like. Yeah. Well, I don't, we, we don't really know. All we know, it's more than four people and some of the winners of that. So we have this plan to have like a whole bunch of pros, but that's not this year. This year <laughs> we should do the four person open. Yeah. It's going to be us three and Chad yeah. or, uh, and Pete. And so we're going to 
be in that division as long as they're to switch divisions. Yeah. And we're going to try to go fast. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to be like, you know, we're going to be at 95, 97, 98. Yeah. We're not going to go super crazy and yell at each other, but we're going to have some fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyways, start order. You should go, like after the first lap, it's going to be so spread out. You guys said something about like knocking elbows. You said something like, I should go last because there's carrots. Like, what do you, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like, <laughs> like, like, like the there's chase. always going to, like in 24 hour <laughs> race, there's always going to be up it, but you want to have, you want to have your faster people not have to pass people mountain biking. Right. Like, so what we should go for is an order of quickness and something about elbows rubbing. There's no going to be after the first, like. 45 seconds of riding, there's going to be no elbows rubbing on a... Yeah, maybe. Single track, you know. Yeah. Got to rub elbows with folks and you pass think, them sometimes. It's How not going to be... A, are we talking? It's a lot. That's okay, all but I after know. the first it's lap with, with Jonathan, like, there might be a string of people. Yeah. Like, you think about Carson City Off-Road or something. Well, there's a lot. You're starting yeah. with thousands yeah, of people. Yeah. And then you get into a line. Like, you're not rubbing elbows with people. But I just think the multi-lap aspect of it is going to lend to a lot of overlap. Yeah, I You're going to be passing people, yes. Yeah, and, and, on, and a fair amount, I don't know entirely, but it seems like from Google Earth images, it looks like a fair amount of this is like double track too. Mm. So That's easy enough. Yeah, you, I've watched videos online and there mm-hmm. are definitely places to pass people. Yeah. But we also, we don't want to put like, we wouldn't want to have the slowest person go first and then Jonathan try to pass through all the slower people. Right. We, we yeah. want to go fastest to slowest. There's two strategies there. One is you never know it's because it's time-based, who's going to be on your last laps. Yeah. So if we had a choice to have somebody have an extra lap, it'd be Jonathan if we keep rotating through, right? Right. And then you'd want to go down yeah. the way. So so your order, as I gather it, would be yeah. me first. And then who's second? You. Maybe. Okay. So probably, right? Like yeah, yeah. most likely I am the second fastest. Okay. Second. <laughs> um, Pete <laughs> has a good chance. Yeah. Pete has a great chance. Uh, Ch- Chad, you do too. Like, Chad's a great, yeah, Chad's a great rider. Depends on how motivated you are. Yeah. yeah, I need to get on the bike. We'll see. The motivation will come. I know it will. It's just a question of how far out, how much time I'll have left to train. The way I think we should... Uh, <laughs> feel the cramming. <laughs> there are some mountain bike races in January in California. I think Pete's going to come to it too. Yeah. We race each other. That's a good thing. If Pete beats mm-hmm. me there, he should go ahead of me. If I beat Pete, I should go ahead of him. Right. Like very... So the order ma- afterward doesn't really matter a whole lot, you're saying? It, it does to an extent of. too. The other part is if we're really close, um, we talked about at night... I think that we should go two, 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 like let the other, to let other people sleep more time. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking on that, Chad and I go to bed pretty early. Mm -hmm. So it would probably be easier for Chad and I, like if it went Jonathan and Pete, if you guys were like Pete and I were pretty close. Yep. At night. And that would give us an extra, you know, we'd have extra time to sleep in a row. Good amount of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And then we could then wake up earlier and do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you guys could sleep. Yeah, because that would be, what, five hours of sleep for each of you, right? Yeah, plus the extra, like... Theor- I mean, you know, sure. subtract a half hour on each end, probably, but... And, yeah. and maybe a little bit extra, because it you don't have to start, like... Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, right, so we that'd be a lot better, though, than having to have the less time, you know So what we're mean? planning on doing just single laps until we get to nighttime, and then the, 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 the plan that you're proposing here is that we then do two lap... I guess a two not, not in a row, efforts. but yeah. yeah, but I would do two laps. Pete would do two laps. You would do it, two laps. It would really go. Or could even laps. do. No, it would go you Jonathan, Pete, 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 Jonathan, yeah. Pete. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And two, what that what happens is that is in the middle of the night. I've done running races like this at two in the morning. You don't have to wait three hours. Yeah. Like you only have to wait an hour, so you're not coming down as far. Yeah. Uh, and you get idea. that sleepy melatonin thing going. I think. On. I think I would want to just do two in a row. Well, you could. rather than do yeah. like a lap and then wait. 
because that waiting in between, I'm not sure it would do me much yeah, good. That's a good point is if you guys too are going to be, um, at Might just night be tired. Yeah. If you're the first ones, that'd be good. But then Chad and I, when we wake up, we could go off cause we're going to be awake the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after. we could, we could then switch after that. That'd probably be a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of ideas. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll be slower at night too. Yep. That's something worth, worth pointing out. Right? For sure. I mean, it's just, it just happens sure. for plenty of reasons uh, because of limited sight. Uh, and you're going to hold back because of night. And it, we, I don't know if anybody's written at night, listen to this podcast, but like the, the world comes alive with beasts and scary things whenever you're riding at night, especially once you're tired from racing, you know, mm-hmm. for 24 hours, then things get really kind of spooky. So the other thing you guys talked about was uh, food. And Pete described this delicious, like, let's do some eggs with a little bit of oh, or, um, rice, a little bit of eggs and sounds some, great. like, crumbled bacon. Okay, if you don't have a swanee. We do you, have a swanee. Okay. Yeah, but, but at this time, <laughs> when you guys discussed this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, didn't, we didn't have one nailed down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is just, this is a pro tip for everyone else. Doing 24-hour kind of races like this, running, and I think going to Burning Man five times. When you are, you have these elaborate ideas of what you will do for food. And then when you get there and you're so tired, like fresh eggs are hard to make. So you'd have to do it for like each person for an hour. Uh, Or you just make rice cakes, like we said. That's even hard to do. Like someone's got to do that. Like if it's yourself, what I'm saying as a tip for everyone else, think of as when you're the most tired when you get off work, multiply that like three times. Do you want to cook or do you want to just pick something up? Yeah. So if you could find, like I said, burrito bowls, go to whatever your favorite burrito place is, get a bowl, get a couple of those that have like different flavor profiles, put them in your fridge if you have a yeah. RV, and then just microwave those. It still have rice and beans and probably the, the meat's okay. Get those as close to start as you can. Mm-hmm. Get pre-packaged foods like that. Um, cereal and milk I put down. Uh, chips, even though we probably wouldn't normally eat chips, but when you're exhausted, right, you're going to be so tired. Yeah. Uh, I put down easy things like hot dogs, even though they sound gross, but after you've eaten all this other stuff, oh, fruit is great. Yeah. Right. Uh, the one thing, if we do have a Swanee, which we do, we do, we have, has that person yeah, yeah, said yeah. they're going to come? Yep. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, our Swanee, Tori, when she comes, how good will it sound to have like Jimmy Dean sausage and pancakes in the morning? Like cooking it the whole time? Does that sound good? <laughs> Doesn't no. sound good to you. You don't want to have pancakes in the morning? No, oatmeal still sounds good. That, okay. that just sounds like too much to process. Oh, yeah, well. too much food. Yeah. I don't, so I don't think it's too much. Here's the, here's the, for you, maybe not. <laughs> you well, you have three hours between laps, maps. maybe four hours between laps. Yeah. Yeah. You have a good amount of time. The, here's the interesting thing with yeah. this. I think that the one thing I've learned with these sort of races, you just need variety because yeah. if you have just one thing, you're going to get tired of that one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like having variety is going to be good. I think that we'll have the rice cakes fully handled. Um, my wife will actually, her family lives in Arizona in oh, the yeah. Phoenix area, and she's going to be down there at that time. So uh, not, and she might come down to the race for a bit, but, but she'll make some for us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, which is going to be great. That's amazing. So then we'll have those made. Can I have a request on that? Yeah. And we can have a bunch of different flavor profiles of those. So yes. we can have like the blueberry crisp or the, the eggs and bacon or like plenty of different things. That's yeah. the, that's the key is you want sweet and savory to yep. mix off. Sometimes, uh, happens at Burning Man too. You get all savory. You go, I want, you go to Costco and yeah. you get chips and all that kind of stuff, or you get chips and Oreos. Yeah. And it's kind of like that, almost like the junk food. If you get too much junk, you, uh, 
you think you're going to want it and you do it first, but after a while you hate it. Tired of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It gets bad. So, uh, so yeah, that's the, it, you, and on top of that too, like rice cake as different as the flavor is going to get, you're going to get sick of a rice cake period yeah, too. For sure. You're just going to want something different. So we're planning on when we come down to go to a grocery store and just, you know, ransack the yeah. place, so to speak, and, and kind of fill up with a variety of things. So, so that we're, we can, we're going to pretty much have a cook. I think yep. during the nighttime, uh, she can just sleep and we can have like, we don't really need to eat a huge meal. Well, a little bit, but that's maybe two where you can have oatmeal or some fruit or something yeah. that's very easy. Maybe it doesn't need to be heated up to wake everyone else up. Mm -hmm. yep. Like play on that part out too, mm -hmm. but it'd be better. Like we shouldn't expect our Swanee to be up 24 hours. Totally. Like let's have a good six, seven hours sleep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about. Yep. This is just, we talked about cooling vests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found that I, I use the same cooling vest that you did. Mm -hmm. I forget what it's called. But I can't remember for life me. The problem with the cooling vest is when you it it traps in so much um, sweat mm. that you lose evaporative cooling. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that I can see like in the tour when they do it for warmth when they don't have a lot of fans. Mm -hmm. But when you're indoors and you have fans, I found a cooling vest to be hotter than to not have a cooling vest. I think it's a great idea for post. You get off the bike, you're walking around. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah sure. Yeah. yeah. But even sleeping. I mean, when I did the whole Jiro yeah. thing, we'd come back just completely wound up and I mean, trying to sleep when your body temperature is elevated like that, try, just trying to take a post ride nap was, was a hard thing to do, but I took wet towels and draped them over me and it, it was a crude mechanism, but it worked. And I, I actually had a pretty sufficient nap, got up mm. feeling fresh and or refreshed, I should say. And it made quite a big difference, but if we're going to try to, we're going to come back from a, an evening lap, completely wound up, assuming we go you know, basically full gas the whole time, it's going to be hard to nod off in that first hour or two. 100%. But if we can cool ourselves, that, that gives us a, a big jump on that. And I know that a lot of you might be thinking like, uh, because if you've seen pictures of 24 hours in the old Pueblo, it can get very cold, um, there in, in that then it spot. Won't be a problem, yeah. Even then, though, you know, when it's even when it's cold uh, outside, true. you really get your core temperature Inside up. Inside of an RV lot, with blankets, still. you make a great point: is that lowering your core temperature is a key aspect of like falling asleep. Mm -hmm. So on this on this race, I think you're saying is, would you wear the the vest before you get in bed, or are you talking about wearing the vest to bed? No, no, no. I'd probably hop off the bike, put the vest on. If it's middle of the day and I'm really hot, I might fall asleep with the thing on. But yeah. the idea is just to cool myself down mm -hmm. while I eat and then hop into bed. Helps the other, you sleep way better. I've done this at home too, is you can just, we could just wait outside in our kit until you get really cold. Like you actually cool down sure. before going into a warm RV and kind of being sweaty and then going to bed hot. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it takes a little bit extra time, yeah. but it's a lot easier to fall asleep that way. Showering also is a big help. Yeah. Um, if you know, you're willing to do that, which I definitely want to after my lap, I want to shower and it just helps you feel clean and refreshed and it can really drop that core temperature quick. When you're you bringing up a couple things too. I think one key thing we have to do is get out of our kits as soon as possible mm -hmm. after each one and hopefully shower each one. I don't know how much water we have, but yeah. quick, quick, like RV showers, you know, totally. Yeah. Um, and two, what I'm going to do is take one milligram of, uh, melatonin before my lap starts before I have to go to sleep. It has kind of like a delayed release. It's like an hour, really. Got it. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to take five because what? <laughs> From one to five. Yeah. That's, so that's what happens lot. with five? <laughs> this is what my sleep doctor told me. Uh, also the title of a Stephen King book. Uh, <laughs> what my sleep doctor told me. <laughs> what happens with five, like you will go to sleep, yeah. but what your body has this rebound effect that after like four or five hours, um, you produce, I don't know what chemically what happens, but... Uh, 
you wake up. And what happened to me is I wake up in the, like three in the morning if I take five milligrams yes. and I'm like wide awake and I'm like, I But you feel it. terrible. So you're going to No, I feel awesome. That. So I, I feel terrible like five hours later. I, I still feel the same thing happened to me on our red eye. I took it too early. I didn't take enough. I don't know. But it ended up, I woke up like two or like three hours into our red eye and it was just like bing like could not go back to sleep my body was up it might be what what my doctor said is is too much so one or one and a half or uh, sorry Mm -hmm. one half a milligram is just enough to get you asleep but if you take too much you'll have that you'll like you'll wake up during one of your circadian like i don't know if it's circadian rhythms a sleep cycle yeah sleep cycles at night um i felt like i never actually woke up but i was stuck awake it was very 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 but i I want that (laughs) though for this so i'm going to take uh, I, f- I forgot about this five milligrams of not time released. Like, yeah. uh, it really takes an hour for it to come in. So if we did two laps in a row it's after a one lap, take it. If Nate does a one hour, 15 minute lap nap, her lap, the last 15 minutes napping on the side of the dirt trail. <laughs> There's a uh, funny story. There's actually like uh, a study that happened, I think with swimmers somewhere where they would take melatonin and not go to sleep and train. And it actually improved, I think, performance Oh, of like crazy. having, I know, I don't really want to try that because it would mess me up, but I, <laughs> Someone can Google that study. Safe but to do. They're swimming in water. Totally safe. For yeah, exactly. Just fall asleep. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's, that's everything that I have uh, cool. on that. Now you guys are set straight. We're, we're on board with I your rebuttals, so I think. Okay, so, awesome. Um, uh, one thing, too, that we wanted to talk about caused quite a discussion in, the, in the, the podcast group, which if anybody is on the Facebook podcast group, head over to the forum. Uh, plenty of conversation happening there too. And it's just way easier to search. So then you'll be able to find things if you've posted them in the past. It's way easier. Um, so you can head over to the forum and check that out, forum.trainerroad.com. But um, I, I've, Sorry. this is the first time in over three years. So this is, I've never, I, I've been training consistently for, this is the fourth week now. And I have not had four weeks of consistent training in the past three years because it always gets derailed by injuries before this part, this point is ever reached. Like, how does that feel? Oh, I like, I have a huge portion of my life back. Like it genuinely is, it's, it's life-changing. Like it just feels so good to be able to train again. Like, um, and as far as like, I'm sure somebody is probably listening to this and struggling with knee injuries and a similar situation. I don't know how to solve your problem. I wish I did, but like the only thing I've come to know is that knee injuries are extremely individual. We'll kind of talk a little bit about something about this in the podcast coming up. But anyways, I took a ramp test after, um, I took a ramp test and I was at 275 and I did, you know, part of goal setting, I believe is accountability. So I put out what my goals are. Um, my goal this coming year for 2019 at 275, what's your WAP per kg? Uh, I'm at four, four. I think so. I'll Which is so annoying, everyone. Yeah. Like he doesn't train <laughs> and his baseline is four watts per kilo. <laughs> and I train so much and four watts per kilo is pretty fit. And I think for, I know for looking at stats, the vast majority of you, four watts per kilo trained is a pretty good goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, yeah, that. I think, yeah, I think I'm around there. I, I guess I'll do it right now. And yeah, 4.16. 4.16. That's even more annoying. There you go, Nate. Um, so, uh, but anyways, I, I put that down there and then like my goal is national championships this year. And mm-hmm. that's going to be in winter park, Colorado mountain bike, uh, cross country, Olympic mountain bike, national championships. And, uh, my goal, I would love to be love to be at 320 Watts before that happens for sure. This year. Yep. That's the goal. Chad, I think that's doable. Yeah, totally. So, and I put that yeah. goal there because I've Based been on, there before yeah, exactly. at this weight. So I uh, had 141 pounds actually, which is the goal weight. How many as well. kgs? 
Uh, let's figure that out. 141 pounds. I thought, sorry, I thought you'd know it off the top of your head. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, you'd think, right? Uh, 63.9, so just under 64 kilograms. Um, and that would be a 320 watts. And I feel like also at that point, that gets me hopefully with the bike skill that I'll have with uh, repeatability that I will have trained everything else and a sound race plan and everything going well. I feel like that could possibly get me into the running for a podium. And I know a lot of people think that sounds crazy because that's five watts per kilogram right there if I'm at 320 mm -hmm. weighing that. But it, people are so fast when you get to the top level of like these races, uh, these national championship races, it's not far off from pro fitness. Oh, like I think it is. It's low level pro. Yeah. Like it is pro fitness. It's really mm -hmm. hard to, to, to beat them. So, uh, I would love to get to the point where I'm there and I can go through this year and it's more of like a learning experience for this year. I'd love to be able to match my podium that I got a fourth. Uh, that would be awesome to be able to do that. So top five podium. Yeah. That'd be great. Okay. Yeah. Mountain bike podium. I don't know why it makes me feel silly call calling a podium five people, but I guess it makes more sense technically. Yeah, so goes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And even podium, right. That implies five rather than three anyways. Um, but, uh, when you get, uh, into to the net following year, which is my real goal. Cause I feel like I need two years to build. This is where the controversy starts. Yeah. I, I put out that my goal was 350 Watts at Ooh. 141 pounds. Which it's a moonshot. Is, I mean, that's yep. yeah. Exactly. Which is what watt per kg is that through 5.5? 5.5. Yeah. Yeah. 5.5. Which is big. It's way up there. That would be Jonathan. If, if you could, you know, maintain that and keep mm -hmm. that for a long time, mm -hmm. you could probably be in the tour as a domestique. You think so, Chad? Yeah, I think even anything over five will get you <clears throat> get you into that bracket. I mean, some of those sprinters are carting a lot of mass around. They don't have 450-watt thresholds on them. Yeah, yeah uh, I'd say the sprinters are slower than domestiques, though. An important well, thing to— yeah. We're talking domestiques, but guys who can actually survive the tour and, and actually Yeah, you could get maybe through. hang in. Yeah, an important thing to add is that those athletes have so many other um, things other than their power-to-weight ratio that make them a solid candidate mm -hmm. for that that exactly. I would never have, right? So it's like— ever. A, it's a yeah, ever. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different deal. Um, so— uh, but that's the, that's the stretch goal. And I just, I, I put this out there and a lot of people are just completely confounded. They, they yeah. cannot believe that, that, um, they feel that I've basically tried, I'm biting off more than I can chew with that. But I figure if I've been to 320 before, there's no point in me being okay with just getting to there and calling it good. I might as well have a stretch goal that goes beyond that. And anything that goes, any ground that's gained in between 320 and 350 is just going to be positive. So this is where like. I think you can do it. Mm -hmm. One, your base is 4.1 without mm -hmm. training. That's mm -hmm. pretty high. We did a VO2 max test with you, not that fit. I know yeah, it wasn't fit. you don't, um, VO2 max gets affected a lot by body fat percentage and a little bit though by fitness, but not a ton. Like your power at VO2 max can raise, but your actual number, I think yeah. you were 67 or 69. I think I was 69. I bet you would be in the low seventies when you're very, very fit. Like right. you wouldn't ever go up to 80 or something. Mm -hmm. um, you've been close to that before. And when you did that though, I don't think you were uh, the best, the smartest uh, Absolutely. Both in nutrition and in training, you were kind of just a lot of miles guy. I was starving myself and I was just putting in way too much time on the bike yep. and my power. I feel like, like looking back at it. And when you talk about way too much time on the bike, you're talking an individual rides, like seven and eight hour rides. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Jonathan was Mr. Eight hour on Saturdays. Yeah. On Saturdays, I was gone for eight hours. Right. Yeah. And that yeah, was there's, like, there's a, I mean, diminishing returns at some point there where you're probably just doing nothing beneficial. And I was starving myself throughout the whole thing, yeah. right? At the same time. So like any gains that I got there, it's a miracle that I even got any gains. So yep. like, <laughs> cause I was just, you know, not giving myself what my body needed. So I feel like when I was at 320, there was a lot of low hanging fruit. So why not? And you're at, higher. you're at 30, right? Mm -hmm. And the VO2 max really starts to go down at 35. I'm 31. Yeah. Yeah. 31. Mm -hmm. So you still have like 
time. And yeah. at 35 too, it's not a drop off. It's a gradual decline. But you haven't hit the age yet. Like if you were 45, I'd be like, well, just because mm-hmm. you were 320 when you were 27 yeah, doesn't, yeah. Mean, doesn't you mean you can, you can, you can hit 350 yeah. now. Yeah, I wanted a 400 watt threshold when I was 35. But as a, as each year goes by, I recognize that's probably not going to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, every, every year it's a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why I think it can happen. And I... I probably want to have it happen more than anyone else. Uh, I want if you get a national championship, I want you to wear the jersey every day on the podcast for a year. For we'll a year. put it up behind too. We'll put like pictures of you, like different like, nice fashion yeah. shots wearing it oh, all people, over the wall. People would love that, wouldn't they? Yeah. 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 Uh, but the other thing to think about, even though you have really good technical skills and you know all the things that a mountain biker needs, at three fifty and. Uh, 141 that's still not a guarantee it's still not that's, that's the crazy thing ah, it's you know? so people are so so fast they really are and it's like uh and especially when you get to elevation like winter park i don't know if it'll happen for two years in the same spot i think they're changing that trend but it's going to be there this year and man that's like nine thousand feet almost is like this base elevation mm-hmm. so like can that's, chad and i come to nationals oh heck yeah I'd i don't know to have you guys there i i, I wonder we can get in this more later but you get in the zone. If we should just like hang out and be there and talk to people and let you do your own thing and we'll cheer you on. Yeah, Cause yeah. you know what I mean? I don't want to yeah. like, I don't want to divert his focus with podcasts and totally. that sort of no, thing. Not, not even that, just yeah. even hanging out. Oh. Like yeah. he, you can just do your thing and we'll just pretty, see you later. I get pretty focused. Exactly. Yeah. And if you have an emergency, you text us, but other than that, we wouldn't see you until you're on the course. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be great. And if anybody is planning on prepping for nationals uh, for cross country mountain bike nationals, or if you're planning on prepping for Masters Road Nationals or Road Nats, whatever else it is, and you have some lofty goals, you should drop us a line. Uh, you can do that just Jonathan at trainerroad.com and let us know because it'd be cool to set up something where we can follow along with the progress of, of mm-hmm. other athletes that are doing this sort of thing. Um, you know, national championships, regardless of the nation that you're going for, uh, whether that's you know the U.S., Canada, I don't care if you're in you're in you know the Czech Republic, wherever else it is, let us know because that sort of that's a big goal and uh, it's pretty cool to see people strive for big goals like that so yeah so we're going chad you okay. down it's sounds close good. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i want it's, to ride uh, that too sounds fun yeah oh gosh it, we just hang out little side note that is ride the best i've ridden whistler um i've ridden and squamish is incredible it's it's its own thing but in terms of bike parks i've ridden around you know utah and park city and different spots mammoth and nothing comes close, even Whistler, in terms of trail construction to what I saw at Trestles, which is where Winter Park is. Is there are there lifts or Yeah, there's oh, lifts. Oh, so we can just rent you can big bikes. Let's just not even bring bikes, rent big bikes, have fun. Sounds good to me. It's like yeah. the trails are so perfect. Like the, you know, they don't go straight for a long time and gain a ton of speed, then a tight switchback. Every time a switchback's coming up, the trail starts to meander and it starts to turn a little bit more uphill. So then it naturally slows you down. Mm. So then you can just roll through the turns. Like Sounds amazing. Oh, it's so good. So sounds it sounds pretty good, Chad. <laughs> yeah. You can, uh, you, sh- you should like uh, progress me, have a progression, like there's training progressions, mm-hmm. but I want you to develop me an IPA progression <laughs> because sometimes you jump me to Ease those, you double, into it. those double IPAs <laughs> and I just, I take one sip and it's too much. Yeah, you go, oh, you, go you come in too hot and then yeah. you just stop. That's like yeah. going right into Abbott, like yeah. for, for workouts. That can but, help you along. Yeah. Over like four or five days, you just like, here, Nate, you should do this. And it can be uh, an yeah. experience. That sounds wonderful. I will, I will beer coach you. Coach Chad. Yeah. Then <laughs> <laughs> you'd be like, okay, Nate, we need to taper a little bit tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put you on some ciders ship, ship back <laughs> some pale ales yeah <laughs> all right uh this one's from eric and it has to do with 24 hours in old pueblo just two of them that we'll rip through pretty quickly and then get into some other questions uh, we're going to go through rapid fire this week uh, we've got a lot to cover 
Uh, Eric says, will you be tracking weight during your 24 hour race in order to make sure you stay hydrated? No. Next question. <laughs> Todd says, I love your podcast, even though I'm not a subscriber. Oh, really? to <laughs> I just in, moved right on. In, in general. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so the question is stay hydrated during that thing. Yeah. I think we're probably going to do, I'm going to do scratch, uh, the hydration stuff. Same. The, not the hyperhydration, but the, uh, like the, rescue the hydration, rescues, yeah, yeah, whatever oh, okay. their version of it is. It is important to be hydrated in this thing. I'll drink a lot of water, but I'm not going to weigh myself. I'm as everyone usually does. You drink extra, you pee out the, you know, yeah. the excess, but I'll try to focus on salt and a little bit of sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're actually working with, uh, Jeff Copa Bianco from breakthrough performance coaching, I believe. Uh, and he actually has sent us some sweat test kits. So we should I actually have, have so many questions. Yeah, yeah. So many questions. Uh, long before then. Uh, we'll be able to have our sweat rates figured out and that sort of stuff too. So that will all Maybe. aid us to the point where we probably won't need to be, you know, weighing ourselves all the time. We, and we have so much time in between each one that totally. we'll totally rehydrate as long as you're not being a dummy and drinking those double IPAs between each other. Uh, <laughs> between the jets like, Toward oh. the end of the race. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's have Jonathan. We'll I, I have this, this, this feeling like we look at the lap times. We're like, it's faster if Jonathan just does all of them. I, you guys, <laughs> you're building me so many exit strategies that, yeah. that, that lend to doing one, maybe two laps and then just kind of kicking back. That's pretty great. <laughs> one lap, and then Jonathan does all of your laps. Oh, gosh. We can look at the time and be like, seriously, he might beat us by five, 10 minutes on a lap. And then his right. slow lap might be only five, three minutes, but still. I really hope that's not the, the case. We can cheer him on. Yeah, I hope that's not the case. Uh, next one's from Todd. He says, love your podcast, even though I'm not a subscriber to Trainer Road yet, he says. Uh, listen to your latest episode and I, hopefully that yet means he's going to change it soon. Yeah. Uh, he says, I listened to your latest episode when you talked about the 24 hours in old Pueblo. And I have a question on tapering for a 24 hour event as a solo rider. I'm racing my first solo 24 hour event next month in SoCal. And I can't find much advice that I would tend to trust as much as if it was coming from you guys. I understand that you come across a whole lot of crazy dogma, you know? Uh, and then he says, I'm 48, pretty seasoned and have been endurance racing for more than 20 years. I'm six foot four inches and 205 pounds though. So I'll be lugging my, as he says, my giant carcass around the course and really want to show up primed. Thanks in advance for any pearls you send my way and enjoy Kona. Um, so with this one, uh, tapering for a 24 hour event, man, I really feel like you don't really get anything by throwing in any additional stress that final week. Yeah. No, I mean, all your training is going to be, or all the benefit you're going to get from your training is going to be realized uh, or in the system, so to speak, a couple weeks out. And then it's just a matter of uh, ditching the fatigue mm-hmm. and, and becoming fresh. And, and for something that's relatively long and slow like this, I mean, very long, but it's going to be done at a slow pace. I mean, you got to ride for 24 hours. You're not going to be hitting it real hard. <laughs> um, you don't have to come into it particularly fresh. I mean, tapering becomes really important as the events become shorter and more intense. So something like this, I mean, you could, if you're not carrying a ton of fatigue into that final week, you could just duck out of the last couple of days of training and, and show up on race day and probably have just as good an event as if you took like a very serious two week taper approach. Uh, there's no need for openers for this kind of thing too. Cause openers are more of like, yeah. so you can get anaurobic quicker and stuff. You can yeah. start really quick. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Which you're not going to do on this. Like don't, there's no really no need to start. Like, no, I know. The, the only reason I would even prescribe anything more than a couple of days of taper, maybe like a full week's taper is if he's dragging a lot of fatigue into this. Mm-hmm. He knows coming into that last week of training, I am smashed and I, and I have one week prior to my event. Yeah. Then I would take the taper. I, I would extend it out a few more days for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, unless that's the case, I wouldn't worry about it a couple of days prior and uh, let it roll. I don't want to have that feeling of, uh, it's probably me traveling volunteer too, but that feeling of really fresh legs mm-hmm. um, and really like I 
like a couple days before feeling like I really want to train today. I really want to train today, but not. And then those couple days afterwards, then I feel like I have a really good race. I've, I've yeah. heard coaches describe it, and I, and I agree with them that the, the sign of an effective taper is that you're eager to race. Mm-hmm. You feel particularly good. You're ready to do it. Yeah. yeah. It's really that simple. I've never done a 24-hour mountain bike race, but I have Everested before. I should tell you guys all about this sometime. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not. Uh, and that was 24 hours. And I we started out, and I was – I looked at the numbers and thought of what we could actually sustain, and it was so low in terms of power output. And mm-hmm. I kept it's governing everybody on that. Real. And everyone was like, "This is ridiculous. This is way <laughs> too slow in the beginning." But it ended up toward the end that you know some folks couldn't even you know that pace was too much at the yeah. end of the time. So like when you're going out on this, it's hard with mountain biking because sometimes the terrain just forces you to go hard. But pacing is going to be so key. I know this is less about the taper perhaps, but like even getting yourself in the mental space beforehand, mm-hmm. you're not going out there to, to, to slam it. You're not going to start super hard. You're not going to, you know, jam it up some hills. You really want to just be going through and keeping a consistent pace because the way that 24 hour races like this work is that, you know, your consistent lap times is going to be, that's going to be the best help for you. Where did you land for your percentage of FTP? Like 50, 55, I think that we are trying to hold like 0.55 IF Mm -hmm. is what we, that was what I was shooting for. 55% of FTP. So it was, it was low. And especially when you're climbing, it's hard to even hit that. Right. So we were like in the lowest gear we could and just going slow, but it paid off. The, the, how it relates to the taper is you'll start this race. Everyone's going to be running. Everyone's going to be going so fast (laughs) and you're going to feel amazing. Yeah. Right, because you're gonna have this taper, Hold back. and you're gonna yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, I'm I don't I haven't done this before, but I'm guessing there'll be a group of 24 hour people that are in the way back who yeah. are going very slow. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, this would be a great race uh, to carbo load. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, totally. You've, I've talked about it in the forum and uh, had on previous podcasts. We talk about Ironmans and maybe Leadville being an eating contest. Ooh, mm-hmm. 24 hour race. That is definitely an eating contest. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you got to m- make sure that your stomach doesn't get upset, but you're also maximizing the amount of food you take in because you, you cannot, uh, keep up. Yeah. You, you cannot can't. keep it's up. It's too hard. And hopefully though, you're riding at such a low percentage where you're not using much glycogen, but on a mountain bike race, uh, there's probably going to be some times that you're going to have to use glycogen. It's going to get totally. just so steep. Oh, yeah, no, he'll be using can't, it. Like yeah. on a road be... Like you talked about, in the climbs on the road, it's going to be worse than the mountain. Yeah, even worse. Yeah, he'll be using it at a, at a trickle rate the entire time for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not a light switch thing, right? It's a system of faders, uh, more or less. It's in play. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and I guess we benefit from the fact of having a team relay. We don't have to talk about riding mm. for the whole twenty-four think? hours, right? You might be riding for twenty <laughs> hours. <laughs> yeah. oh, at the man. moment, Pete, well, Pete and Chad <laughs> love to enjoy themselves. I come back at two p.m. It's We're hedonist. It starts at noon on Saturday, and I come back at like 3 p.m. and I see Chad already kicking back some beers and hanging out and I'll hang as long as I can. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. Uh, this is from Lewis and it's not a question actually, it's just praise. Um, we get like the question a lot of the time people ask like, uh, is trainer road, like, you know, work for this type of person, that sort of stuff. So we figure we should share these ones and people send these in a little more often. So Lewis says no question for me, just a massive thank you to everyone at trainer road, even the support staff I've been training. I've been trying for at least four years to get a certain time on a local hill and have never been able to get under 17, um, 17, 
uh, I guess minutes and 10 seconds, which that's like a, I think we can all relate to that. We all have that marker hill. It says today I smashed my time by 42 seconds going 16 minutes and 28 seconds. He says, I honestly put this down to trainer road. And the reason I'm riding in is because for me, ironically, the biggest thing I've learned from trainer road is not how to ride my bike, but how to train basically work and rest. I always thought ride more and get faster, but no ride smart and rest. Well, I've been riding a few years now and I thought I understood how it worked, but how wrong I was moral of the story is rest as well as you train and trust trainer road. Even if you don't feel like tapering, he says in the <laughs> winky face, it really is down to you and everything you all do for us. Thanks again, Lewis. Awesome. Great job, Lewis. Thanks Lewis. You're very welcome. Lewis. And that's some sound advice right there. It's like, uh, the, is that simple? The low hanging fruit, right? Is like a recovery. It sounds simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is simple. It, it is simple. Yeah. But the complexity of training and resting relative to your training, it's, it's pretty complex. That's where you fit it into life. That's where things get complex. There's a lot of complexities, you know? Um, okay. So from Alex, uh, he says, hello, Chad, Jonathan, and Nate. First of all, I'd like to thank you and all the good folks at trainer for your products and quality content. Simply put, you guys are amazing. Five stars without a doubt. Nice. Yes. We haven't asked for five star reviews lately. I think we're almost at a thousand. Yeah. We're over that. I think. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. You can Drop do so. Everyone. You can do so in the, in iTunes, uh, or on Google play. No, here's what we're doing now. Okay, everybody, <laughs> yeah. go to the app store for trainer road and go, go to the Google play store and give us, I mean, if you think we deserve five stars, yeah. give us five stars there. If you don't think we deserve five stars, email support at trainer and tell us what we can do. Yeah, but, sure. uh, our podcast has a thousand five stars. Our app doesn't like, it's hard to review apps and, yeah. uh, but please go review us in the app store. If you do it right now, you're listening on your phone, just pop it open and do it. That would actually helps us grow and we can do more features and it makes us look more, um, reputable. Yeah, reputable. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, he says, I was I was a trainer road user for a few months, two years ago, until I gave up cycling to focus on my new job abroad. I'm now back at home and ready to start all over again, but my fitness dropped significantly due to 26 months of desk work and minimal physical activity. I used to be a road and mountain biker with, and he says mountain bike racer, I should say. So slightly different there, uh, with an FTP of 340 to 350 Watts. And I was at 4.6 Watts per kilogram. So that's 74 kilograms. Uh, he says he's 188 centimeters. That is legit. He's a fast rider. He says, was. yeah. And he says, I'm afraid of how much work it's going to be, uh, in order that there is in front of me to get back into shape. My last FTP test showed 240 Watts at 83 kilograms. And so he says, do you have any tips on the mental and physical side of things? to help me get back to where I was or closer. I will of course subscribe to trainer road and use the training plans. You would suggest additional, additional info. He says, I'm 26 years old, have 12 to 15 hours per week to dedicate to training and will focus mainly on road racing, uh, in 2019. So he has a lot of time to train a lot of time. He's at 2.9 Watts per kilo. Now he was at 4.6. Yep. Uh, that, that happens when you don't train for a while, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, to mortals. Yes, Jonathan, but yeah, you're yeah. at 4.1 you without dropped, training, but you dropped to how much? Oh, I'm at like two Watts per kilo. You were at two. I think when I, when I don't train, I go down to like two Watts per kilo. And now you're four. No, I, I think today I'm at like three, eight or something, yeah. somewhere in there, but I will be above four. Yeah. Yeah. Four to six, six weeks. Yeah. Nice. By ne after my next ramp test, I'll hopefully be at four. The, the point is it's very possible for, for you to recover a whole lot of fitness. Well, the, the, the biggest thing is if you've been there before, Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's much, 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 much easier to get to where you were before. <laughs> seems to be. Than to, uh, push to new limits. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is consistency. 
right? Like that's like the, the yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's my first part. recommendation for anybody who's either new to training or returning to training after a long layoff is first lay that framework. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm verging into running after a, a long hiatus from that. And all I want to do is establish consistency. I'm just looking for 30 minute runs five days a week. And I'm working up to that over time. And that's just a, a, as an example, I don't care what those 30 minutes are comprised of. They're going to be in, in my case, low intensity, because I'm just trying to build durability and avoid injury. But the same idea applies across the board, regardless of, of which discipline or which sport is it's first get yourself out there. However, many times a week get on your trainer, however many times a week, once that's there, then you can start worrying about all the nuts and bolts, all the details. But if you don't have that consistency, you're putting the cart before the horse. I mean, you're starting to worry about things that you really don't have any business worrying about. And that's not to say you don't structure those workouts in the early stages, but if you can't even get yourself on the bike three times a week, why are you worrying about the composition of the workouts? So mm -hmm. first, first get the framework in place and Good then point. move forward from there. You see so many people, they get even worse. They can't do that. And then they're worried about which carbon fiber part to get. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's all of is us. it worth this yeah. 10 grams or $150? Yeah, yeah. Or should my VO2 max repeats be 2.5 minutes or three minutes? Should they be at 118%, 121%? I mean, all these things. Yeah. And you can't train three times a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Or, tire or, or you try, you know, you, you, you think I'm going to do three times a week. You get on the bike three times a week. You beat yourself up all three of those times a week. Come the start of week three, you have no desire to get on the bike again. Mm -hmm. So you dove in, a, you know, a little too headlong mm -hmm. and Jonathan, just back it off. Yeah. How much... I'm just starting to get back into after like October is hard for me to train, mm. training, uh, momentum. Yeah. How, how motivational is it when you can string oh. one or two or three crucial. weeks together? Oh, it feels so good. Without any like- It's crucial. If you have yeah. a long-term plan and you can't establish momentum in the beginning, and this is yeah. basically what I'm talking about is incrementally um, um, lifting that level of momentum. Yeah. But if you can't establish it early on, I mean, you're, you're kind of doomed from the start. I was sending like overly enthusiastic text messages to my friends while I was training because I was so <laughs> excited about it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, earlier yeah. this week. Like it just, it just feels so good. Yeah. But it's, it's a really important thing that you, I, I like how you call it framework. It's very different than groundwork. It's more like a scheduling thing. Yeah. I'm it, not even talking about like base conditioning or anything more specific than framework. I'm on yeah. the bike this day, this day, and this day at this time, this time, and this time for this long, this long, and this long. Yeah. If you don't give yourself at least that, then it's going to be really tough to gain that momentum that you need to gain because life you've, you've gotten used to over the past 26 months. I believe you said you, you've gotten used to you have a whole a different whole, lifestyle, exactly pattern right. of daily events. Yeah. So it's really, you do have to change your lifestyle around it. There's oh, this yeah. other part too, where this happened yesterday to me, uh, life happened and I wanted to do an hour recovery ride, but I only did a 30 minutes. And that happens to a lot of people that like I had a 90 workout minute scheduled. I can't do 90 today. So I'll just skip it. Yeah. Well, why don't you go down to the 45 minute version or even mm -hmm. the 30 minute version chat, right? Maintain that consistency. Yeah. yeah. It's like this, um, this habit that you form. Yeah. And even if you don't get a, the same training benefit, the habit is better. Yes. And I think you're too, there is still fitness benefit of doing a 45 minute session absolutely then a 90 minute one yeah i mean turn I mean, it into a recovery session and even that recovery session as we'll talk about in a little while has many benefits yeah i think another aspect of this is having a goal um huge yeah like we've just talked about this how 24 hours in the old pueblo is close enough like if it was just nationals for me i can i can do that well, there's two goals it's a long way out whopper kilo goal but also a, a an event yeah i like having some sort of a, a performance benchmark day yeah you gotta like have something a, something to strive toward yep if that's like maybe it's just you say that by july i want to set a certain time up a certain climb maybe that's just you want to go on that you know vacation that you'll have with your friends and you want to ride and you want to be fit 
a body composition goal. I mean, totally. it could be, you know, I want to get down to such and such percentage of body fat. I want to raise my lean mass to this. I mean, it doesn't have to be an event. Yep. Yeah. I like the event because it's a hard date that I can't change. Yes. Because it's easy to say, I want to do such and such by January 1st. And then you're like, well, it was a hard December, so let's do February 1st. But so, so if it's not an event, then you have to make those two things measurable. You have to set a date and you have to, of course, measure along the way. And you yeah. can tell people. That's another like yeah. telling, uh, having your goal be public yeah. can for some people, it depends on motivations, but for some people it can make them be more likely to follow it. Some yep. people it's actually less. It's better if it's internal. It's about accountability, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, absolutely. It yep. does affect different people different ways. Some people put that goal out there so that they can have that support and, and be on the line or be you know, held responsible for it, accountable and others, it just dissuades them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's super helpful for me. If I didn't have a goal, then I wouldn't have three weeks or I wouldn't have the consistency that I've had for the past three to four weeks for sure. Probably why I haven't and gotten we, on the bike. <laughs> we talked about it too, is uh, uh, you have multiple goals over multiple years. Yep. So if you just had two years from now, nationals, the motivation probably be different than in February, I'm going to go go 24 hours in Old yep. Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have some other races between and then. And I have Sea Otter or I have the, the Soldier Hollow Pro XCT. That's another B race that I have. And then I have another B race. It's going to be Sea Otter. And then I have another B race, which is going to be the 35-mile version of Carson City Off-Road. Not going to do the 50. Um, and then thereafter, my A race is going to be Nationals. Yeah, right? so you're playing a much longer game than, <laughs> for instance, I am. You, you're looking at something that's almost two full years out. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at something that I can drum up fitness two months out. Yep. You know, I'm not going to be fast like you'll be, but I'll be able to carry my own. Yeah. The other thing I see people do, and I think this is a legit, maybe not advice strategy, but yeah. you sign up for something that <clears throat> is way above your current capabilities. Yeah, like yeah. people do this, they sign up for an Ironman. Ironman. <laughs> and you go from like, I can't run a 5K, but I'm going to do an Ironman. Uh, Goals it, have to be realistic. Yeah, well, yeah. But they do it a year ahead of time and there gets this fear. It's yeah, like you're motivated yeah. by fear, like I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they can do it and they either quit or they, they do it. But I, I think that the people doing running, like they sign up for a marathon when they can only do a 5K. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's another kind of stretch goal. There's, there's the distance goal and then there's the time goal. And for I think for beginner riders and for, get, for beginner people, just being able to ride like 100 miles is a pretty like – that's a more tangible goal than to say, I want to be at four watts per kilo to mm -hmm. them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then they can tell their friends, I rode 100 miles. I did an Ironman. Yeah, and I have no problem with goals being lofty. I mean, they have to be achievable. Even if over a long term, it's going to require a high level of dedication. And you're like, it's it's not terribly realistic, but I'm pretty sure I can do that. That's I love that idea. And I yeah. think that 350 watt goal what, that's that what Jonathan's is. shooting for is totally along those lines. If he falls short, so what? What if he reaches 330 or 335? I yeah. mean, that's a win. If he doesn't exactly. reach it, I'm going to. Ask him every day. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Right. So I, uh, I, and I guess the one point that I really wanted to hit home on that I think is really important is like you said, Nate, something is better than nothing. Uh, if you can't get in that scheduled workout, make sure you do that. Cause what you really need to do is build confidence in yourself as well as you're coming back into this, that you can indeed get back to this lifestyle and you can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, once you do that, I guess one thing, especially that I've noticed is just when you're coming back, instead of worrying about, you know, instead of putting so much pressure on yourself to just like jam it and hit those numbers that you need to hit or go too hard, really pay attention to the simple things that make you the efficient and I guess healthy rider that you need to be. So 
you know, biomechanical efficiency. If you start off with one of the base plans, you'll have plenty of workouts, uh, workouts that have workout text and trainer road that will be walking you through that, you know, whether it's pedaling drills, mm -hmm. simple stuff, just to keep you on track to make sure that things are it's, functioning. It's similar to swimming in that respect that if, if you hop in the pool and you start practicing bad habits from the start, they're only going to magnify, oh, and it's going to be that much more difficult to reshape those habits later on. So if you can, mm -hmm. from the, from the start, pedal your bike well, then, uh, Again, another win. So yeah. what are some things people should look out for? Yeah. I mean, well, one thing that I just think of with this, like, first of all, is if he's been sitting at his desk and just doing that for that long, then chances are he's probably lost some mobility, I would assume. Perhaps, or at least flexibility. He might, I mean, we've talked about how being behind a car, sitting at a desk, being in that seated position, that hip flex position actually kind of works on a bike rider, but that doesn't mean you want to perpetuate any of those imbalances that are already in place. Mm -hmm. So just because it doesn't bother you from the start, you may still consider um, in, improving your, your postural muscles, even mm -hmm. if on the bike, it's, it's not that big a concern. It is a concern in other aspects of living. So good amount of core work. And you can check that out by going to youtube.com slash trainer road, sweet plug, uh, for, uh, five exercises that you do that you recommend just can help a cyclist. Yeah, sure. For flexibility. Um, and then strength mm -hmm. too. And I'm, I'm a big, uh, as you, if you've listened to the podcast, well, no, I'm a big proponent of strength training, regardless of, of the type of athlete you are. But in this case, especially if you're coming from a period of dormancy, I think strength work from the start is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, build that strong body so that you can ride that bike well, so that you can position yourself well on the saddle that you can apply force without, you know, having all these different losses along the chain. Yeah. That sort of thing. And I think what you were getting to Nate is like a lot of people just don't know, number one, if they're bound for some sort of overuse injury because of an imbalance or if they, you know, until what point do I do core work? That sort of stuff. It's yeah. so like what signs they should look yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. What signs should I look for on the bike that like mm. maybe something's wrong? Yeah. It, well, a couple easy gets are knee movement. So really, which is really boils down to a lack of hip control. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's an easy get and just watch your knees. I mean, are they, are they ducking in toward the top tube at the top of every pedal stroke? Are they wavering period? So in and out knee movement. Yeah. Not, lateral, not, lateral movement side to side. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. I actually told, uh, one of my PTs at one point that I felt like my hips were totally out of control and he looked at me very weird. And then I think, I think he was thinking like the Shakira side of things. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just can't help walking around the office. <laughs> exactly. like, they're exactly going crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, but they, they totally were on the bike and, and yeah. I feel like that. Uh, contributed a lot to, to, to things that, and basically it was try as I might. And it's really frustrating. Like, uh, try as you might to stabilize things mm -hmm. and to make certain muscles work. I simply couldn't because I had gotten so out of the habit. All that stabilization comes from the hips and the inner and outer thigh. I mean, not necessarily the muscles you think are, are, um, responsible for mm -hmm. dictating the knees path. Mm -hmm. So if your knees are slicing out, what should you do? Uh, again, address, address the hips. So, so typically it's a matter of external rotation in the hips. And then a lot of the time the adductors are particularly overstressed or overutilized. Um, ITs can be tight. I mean, there's a lot of things that can think could cause issues, but some simple exercises for just strengthening the muscles in the, uh, the outer hip mm -hmm. are just side, anything that moves the leg laterally. So like side laying leg raises, um, clamshells, uh, sidestepping with, with a band or some mm -hmm. form of resistance around your legs, even to attaching a cable to your leg and externally rotating and then um, moving the leg away from your midline sort of thing. I'm going to put some photos up into the forum on this episode post. I'll have a uh, producer Ian take some photos while I do some of these movements yeah. that I've been doing to help with that. Yeah, he's got some PT specific ones mm -hmm. that are super specific to his, his issue, but also general to, to, to what we're lacking as people who move in a very particular plane and um, involve very specific muscles. Yeah. And some really helpful ones, like uh, ways to on the lateral movement with your legs like that. There are ways that you can do it with 
with bands in a very, in the same exact spot without having to do like, you know, have a bunch of lateral space to be able to do mm -hmm. like, you know, side steps. Um, so I'll, I'll put in some different things that I've done there that have helped because I think a lot of people, you know, they, you talk about dormant glutes and the stability issues and you know, your glutes, glutes are a big hip stabilizer. That's exactly right. Like, uh, they, they aren't necessarily the, you know, they aren't the muscles that are really pushing the pedals over. No, they're big, strong muscles and they're capable of doing quite a lot of work. But when we pedal a bike, they're not all that active in, in the propulsion sense. Yeah, exactly. And when those become inactive, a lot of the time our quadriceps end up going, Oh, don't worry. I can take the work. You know <laughs> yes. what I mean? And they, they get a little over a eager there and they might start pulling on things, you know, differently and cause some issues there. Um, so it's a, it's an important way to keep <clears throat> it in check. Runners do the same issue because they're always going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, the opposite sport that I think has the great lateral movement is basketball or like soccer, soccer, right? soccer yeah. yeah. So much side to side movement. Football. Um, also yep. in the, in the gym, um, at least in, I've noticed in America, there, there are two machines that, that you can do this where you put your legs in and you like, you can go out oh, or yeah, in, yeah. Mm -hmm. you normally see women do them. And it's kind of considered as like a leg, like, uh, like a vanity exercise. Exactly. Thing? But yeah. it's not <laughs> it's like, functional. Exactly. So <laughs> if you, I mean, sometimes it can be hard to get like the bands and stuff. Some people have bands at home, but if yeah. not like you, and you go to a gym and there's one of those machines, I would put that it's into not your, nothing. It's maybe better than nothing, but mm -hmm. barely. Yeah. You don't, I, you don't think it's worth it now from a, from a seated position. I don't think it's a very practical exercise. It's not really the stabilization and the balance that comes with standing and doing these exercises or even just floating your leg and laying on the ground like mm -hmm. sideways mm -hmm. is a whole lot different. Okay. I mean, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a little too specific, a little too, uh, iso isolating. Yeah. Isolative. Is that a word? I'll know. throw in a link to the, to the bands that I got, got off of Amazon. They're, they're super cheap too, uh, which mm -hmm. is nice. And you can travel with them. Get. Like yeah. $4, right? Oh yeah. Super yeah. Cheap. Yeah. And you can travel with them and it comes with the really whole selection. Thin ones that you can wrap up. I mean, they take up no space. So there's, there's some pretty uh, easily attainable tools, cheap ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, and I, I guess and then that rocking hips. We we talk about this thing. too. That I mean, people think when they rock their hips, <clears throat> it's simply a matter of their saddle being too high and they're having to reach the feet. But often enough, it can be a manifestation of a muscular imbalance. So maybe you have tight hamstrings just on the left side. So every time your left leg drops, you you rock as mm -hmm. a, because that leg is reaching, or it just simply doesn't have the same level of flexibility. That single issue can manifest entirely across your body it can carry all the way up. It basically just yeah. zigzag across the body and affects everything along the way. So little, little gets like that, the earlier you catch them and the earlier you can correct them and train those proper movement patterns and, and limit those inflexibilities, the better. So how do you, how do you know? And like, if you're, if it's not a saddle fit issue, how do you know, like how to fix these? See a PT. I mean, th these are things that we can say, I mean, we, we can give advice on what to do beyond the diagnosis, but the diagnosis itself needs to be done by people who are far more qualified than us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best advice there. And Any photos? Sports PT rather, because there's different yes. types of PTs, Ideally, right? if you have access to one, yeah. 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 One that has experience working with cyclists is the Endurance best, obviously. Athletes. Yeah. 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 Um, because the, you know, <clears throat> I remember I went to one PT and I was telling him that like, you know, my knee hurt and he worked with football players a lot at the college here. And I told him that like, yeah, like, you know, when he's giving me problems, I was like, do you think I should hold off on the bike? He's like, no, man, I prescribe bike workouts for all of my guys that are coming back from like knee surgery. And, but like the problem was Low impact, no I had done too much of that. Right. And that's where like a lot of the pain was going. So oh, like, even though he thought it was low impact, it wasn't what I should be doing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's really important to get the right one and any, any exercises or anything else that we're putting up there, keep a massive grain of salt, <clears> Andy. <throat> they, they, they're ones that have, have, have worked for me and they're alternatives to do things that can be a little bit easier. Maybe if you're traveling or limited on space, that sort of stuff. There's 
this is, I'm going to say something controversial. Ooh, okay. Growing up, and I think with my, uh, I'll just say growing up too, the not all doctors and physicians are created equal. Like, um, (laughs) got a scary story, but my wife would be paralyzed if we listened to one doctor rather than another doctor. You hear stories like that all the time. So if you don't like how you're being treated, that doctor is not like God. It's not the be all end all resource. Get a second opinion. Yep. And they're, um, and they're woefully educated on certain, certain matters. I mean, and that's, it's it's no fault of their own. And then they get thrust into a, a, a lifestyle or a job that's so demanding that furthering their education becomes a really difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's just like anything. There are very, very smart, uh, great doctors for some things and great doctors for another thing. That's kind of what your point is. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, even in a special, in a area of specialty, they're not all doctors are exactly the same. Sure. So just don't think that this one doctor did this. And I, I, there's probably some people maybe cringing at this, but uh, you doctors, you know, like you look at your colleagues, you're not all equal. Yeah, yeah. Like there are better ones. Right. It's just like anything coaching. All coaches are created equal. Yeah. Uh, every, doctor, there's a whole field. bunch more stuff to go through, but like on average, it's much, much better. Yeah. Uh, the quality, but just same with PTs. That's my point is for PTs and for sicknesses, like don't, if you don't like it, why not get a second get opinion? Get a second opinion, get yep. a third. Yeah. Totally. It costs some money. And if they're all saying the same thing, that's probably what it is, but oftentimes you could get different stuff. Totally. I think the last thing that I would add to this one is just make sure that you're comfortable pedaling at different cadences, like a whole wide range. There will be cadence drills in the workouts that you do. That's an easy get to approach or to address early on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's just going to be helpful because you'll find yourself out on the road eventually or on the trail and you'll find yourself having to pedal at 40 RPM or Mm -hmm. having to pedal at 120. You just want to make sure that you're familiar with it all. Alex, so you should look forward to this because when you come back from a big time off like this, the gains are so quick yeah. that you feel like it's super motivating. It's beginner gains all over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Young to what, 26? Yeah, yeah. you're going to come through these, like you're going to, every ramp test you do, you're going to come up so much. <laughs> and even in the middle of a plan, especially that first plan, you might want to start like bumping up your FTP or increasing intensity because things, you're going to recover so quickly yeah. uh, and come up so fast. Probably. As yeah. long as you don't overdo it. And then also, Chad, like people shouldn't experience any pain when they're cycling, right? Like, yeah, there's really n- never a good excuse for that. <clears throat> I mean, maybe at the end of a ride or something, you got some, some low back pain or something. That, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about anything that's acute or noticeable. Like and you jump on the bike and your knee starts hurting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You yeah, don't want to just push through it. No. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Joe's question. He Let's says, Hey guys, I've been following your plans for a few years now. Love your podcast and five stars anytime. Nice. My main discipline is cross country marathon mountain biking. And for those that don't know, marathon mountain biking is usually cross country mountain bike races that are three hours or longer. In most cases, the profiles tend to be less stoichastic, less, you know, and more consistent climbs, but that's certainly not the the way across the board. Even nationals this year, I think was in the South Southeast of the U S and it was just like mm. constant rollers, but usually it's over three hours. He says, I've noticed my biggest limiter is slow speed pedaling while seated. I'm not able to produce much power at very steep climbs compared to others at my level. And when I do, I feel I pay for such efforts later in the race. I'm more comfortable spinning faster with lower force on the pedals. To partially remove this limiter, I've changed my gearing to better suit my needs, and it helped me a lot. That was our advice number one. So good job there. Uh, He says, however, I would like to work on this limiter further. What sessions or changes to particular workouts would you recommend? He says, most of the trainer road intervals, especially the VO2 ones that I do, recommend higher cadence, over 100 if feasible. Is it okay if I lower the target cadence to 60 or 70 to make my training more specific, or would that completely change the nature of such workouts? It's all right, right, Chad? Within reason? 
Yeah, why not? I mean, you can. I, I don't know that you're going to get through an entire workout of three-minute VO2 repeats at 60 RPM. It's going <laughs> to take a, a much different muscular <laughs> toll. So so I would recommend, if anything, sprinkle those in every, every once in a while. Maybe uh, uh, maybe try the shorter intervals uh, off and on. So do an interval, skip an interval sort of thing. Just just kind of sprinkle it in. Don't don't be so liberal early on and see how that goes. It can be, pre- it can be pretty hard for athletes who don't have a heck of a lot of just raw strength to turn – or turn out high watts at those low cadences. Mm. Whether or not you're one of those athletes, I don't know. This is a way to address it. You don't have to get extreme with it either. You don't have to get down to 60 RPM. Try it at 80, see how it goes. Try it at 90, see how it goes. Can I share a marginal game pro tip that I've done with VO2 Absolutely. intervals like that? No. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, now, uh, for mountain biking specifically, remember that uh, even though you fixate on this one moment where you feel like your cadence gets drugged down, afterward, there's still a lot of racing left after that short moment. And what I've done in three minute VO two intervals is I do the first VO two interval at quick cadence or the first minute, the second minute I do at a slow cadence. And then the last minute I fight to have a fast cadence and it's really hard. Uh, You have to change gearing if you're not on a smart trainer, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 But it's really good because after you climb, if you can keep that power consistent, but just, you know, the legs start spinning quicker because you're yeah. shifting gears. Ooh, that's really a, like that's an awesome drill. So and it also s- mentally breaks it up, makes three minutes feel in some cases a little shorter, sometimes mm-hmm. a little harder. So you're simulating, it's a steep hill and you start with momentum and you have that high cadence. Mm-hmm. And then as you start to slow down, you're downshifting and you get like kind of like yeah. drug down into the really you low cadence. You hit that dreaded uh, shift attempt yep. where nothing happens, just yep. a click. <laughs> <laughs> and then yep. at the end, you're at the top of the hill and normally this is where everyone slows down. Yep. But this is where you're going to start passing people and get ahead of them on the descent yeah. and you're going to pedal fast again, but at that same power level. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I love that. It's a pretty that's race awesome. specific drill. And like you said, it's just a fun way to break up or not a fun way, but a more engaging way to break up uh, what can be a pretty monotonous three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy how long three minutes can feel. <laughs> like, know, awesome. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. About eight oh, hours. Gosh, yeah. I um, When I was coming back into things and I was in in Hawaii on vacation, got out early and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do five three minute intervals at you know 120%. That is a, killer workout. It would have been really hard, right? And I don't know that you're going to be working that hard on a course ever. Are you, I mean, is it realistic for you to have to Mm. push 60 RPM at 120? More likely you're going to be working at 90, 95%. So those are the workouts that you ask for specific workouts and and workouts that are in line with that are uh, Newcomb, Mm P-Vine or Newcomb, P-Vine and Haeckel especially, because Haeckel will do the 95, 100, 105. Those are more realistic uh, power outputs for mm-hmm. having to mash a gear that slowly. So I would start with something like that. Could you also like in sweet spot? Just absolutely. Low. There's no reason that with any workout, especially sub threshold work, that you can't just dial it down a bit in terms of leg speed. Yeah. Now the biggest point on this, yeah, you had a Hawaii. I think we did. You finish your Hawaii point? Oh, you did, I was just gonna say like I did five three minute. I set out to do five three minutes, and after three of those, I was like. Three is enough, and I'm going to take a break <laughs> until the next set. It's hard, man. Three minutes can be extremely hard, especially if you're coming back into things after not doing much. Um, but here's like a big point on this. So I too, in this case, uh, Joe, found myself at Benelli Park in California where they have a Pro XCT and where they're actually going to have the Olympics mountain bike race when the Olympics go to LA. Uh, I think producer Ian perhaps is written there. I'm not sure, but it's got constant short, steep little climbs. And this race would always happen in like January and February. So it's not exactly when you've <laughs> specialized your race fitness yet, at least for us, but then SoCal guys have been like base training since August and they're already ready to go. Right. So, uh, man, I found myself just getting dropped on the climbs and I thought, you know what? I'm just not good at steep stuff. But the fact is I just wasn't fit enough. Mm-hmm. 
Like, and this is something that's tough. We always get people writing and telling us that like they, they get dropped on the climbs and they're a bad climber. But mm -hmm. the fact is your power to weight ratio just isn't it's where it needs to be. Probably not great. It's physics. Yeah, it's physics, yeah. right? And I noticed that when I was on these climbs, number one, I didn't have low enough gearing. I changed that, but it still didn't fix my problem. Maybe it made it so that I didn't have to pedal at 40 RPM and I could pedal at 60 RPM, but it didn't fix my problem by it making it any faster. Fitness to hang in there. Exactly right. So it's really easy to find yourself to say, oh, well, it must be low cadence or it must be something else, but it's, it's misattribution. And that's a really hard thing as a cyclist. And you're trying to find limiters It's very easy to, to, to identify the wrong thing as a limiter. And the one thing I can say, and I'm sure Joe, you, you, this makes sense to you too. If your threshold was higher, then those efforts would be at a lower percentage relative to your threshold and therefore more manageable. If those 600, so what you're saying is he's, I'm just so bad at 60 watt or 60, uh, RPM pedaling. Yeah. But really, if you looked at the power meter, maybe those 60 watts are, or those, sorry, the 60 mm -hmm. RPMs would be at 400 watts. Right. And really what you're bad at is holding 400 watts for minutes at a time. <laughs> exactly. Like that's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you think that it's the cadence, but really it's the fitness. Yes. Um, and I'd argue too, that especially with mountain bikers on your course, so many mountain bikers think they need that high end yeah. Uh, gearing, especially, I mean, 36 with Olympic Nino or, runs, Nino runs a 38. <laughs> I would argue that most people don't need a 32 10. Like yeah. you're probably, that gear is probably pretty clean. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and when you're doing that, a lot of times you're, uh, if you're going that fast, you could probably just stop pedaling and yeah. you're descending and yeah. just rest or mm -hmm. put the dropper post on and tuck. Uh, and you might need a 30 or a 28. Yeah. Uh, and that front, would make front ring. What are you talking about? Yeah. The front ring. Yeah. Yeah. Front ring. Yep. yep. Yeah. And, uh, it's so many, uh, Leadville, this was so many people told me like, <laughs> I, I, I would go lower than a 32 and I was thinking sub nine, I think you'd be a 30 sub 10, 28 mm -hmm. and like yeah. sub 12, like a 26 the like, of spinning. Yeah. 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 And only if you're going sub eight, go like 32 and sub seven go because it's a gear you can four. actually get on top. Exactly. exactly. And if you can't. What's the point of having it? Seriously, you're it's just, just going you. to you. waste your, your, your waste yourself muscularly. I like to see after a race how much like percentage of time people spend in fifty on eagle versus ten, and I bet you most racers never touch ten. Yeah, the entire race yeah. of a mountain bike race. It'd be fun like to have data. Race. Yeah. It'd be fun to have data on gear selection if we could track that totally. the entire time, get it fed to the Garmin so that we could look at it if we wanted to. We should yeah. with ETAP Eagle um, when that because ETAP does send that over. Oh, yep. So ETAP Eagle, we should Had. get that. But I. That would be a great case for choosing gears. It's just something that's yeah. interesting to look, to look at. It might not influence your training. It might not in, even influence your uh, per, uh, equipment choices. It should. But it, it should, it yes. Yeah, but yeah. it's still interesting to observe. Just check it out. Totally. Uh, and so, another example of this, to throw myself under the bus, remember when I was talking about how hard single track six was because it was so darn steep and like, and I, it was frustrating how steep they made all the climbs there. Well, yeah, that's because it just pushed me out of the realm of my fitness capabilities. That's why. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Um, I even- bad, bad. I went to Eagle and I went to a smaller chain ring halfway through that race. And I was still with the same people getting dropped by the same folks. <laughs> like, yeah. um, but it, you know, maybe my cadence wasn't as low, but it was still that just my, my, my Fitness performance potential was what it was. Yeah. Two, I want to say about Nino running that big front chain ring is he doesn't do it for the 10. He does it to get a better chain line. He knows yeah, like, exactly. he's, he's so down to marginal gains and he's, you know, the best in the world that, he wants to have that straight chain line for most of the racing that he's doing. And he knows he's only doing these two hour races and he can power up that short stuff. He's probably never in 50 or totally. not for long. Yeah. Uh, 
He wants to be in the middle of that rear cog set. Yeah. I'm guessing for people listening here, you most likely need that 50. <laughs> you yeah. mean I'm not Nino Schurter? Yeah, you're not Nino. <laughs> if only, right? Any of you non-Ninos. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you want to cover the rest? Of, yeah, yeah. Yep. Let's do that. Um, so I guess he says, what would you also recommend any off-bike strength workouts? And what are the things would you recommend in general? He says, fortunately, I have no knee problems and never really had any. So doing slow, stompy stuff in his, that he says, is no problem That's for cool. him. So you can dive right in. Um, obviously, there's a greater potential for knee injury when you start doing the slow high force stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a very big concern. Um, you're aware of it already. So kudos to you. Um, as far as off the bike strength work, like I just said, big advocate of strength training in general, but especially for stuff like this and, and, and equally, or maybe even more so I'm, yeah, I want you to be able to put more force to the pedals and you can improve that via strength training, you know, off the bike strength training, but just as much so to be able to control the delivery of that force. So to, to have a strong body, that's not hemorrhaging power because you're flailing so wildly trying to mash the pedals down. You want good force transfer. You want the strength, the, the power that's coming out of your legs to make it to the pedal, not to get absorbed elsewhere. And a weak body absorbs it in all other sorts of places. <laughs> Whereas a strong body, I mean, you watch Nino Schurter, for instance. Oh, gosh, I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's like a, a statue yep. with, with moving legs. It's, it's so, um, this is, uh, if you compare his style to something like, I think like in the mountain bike world, a guy named Stefan Tempier, right? He's like out of the saddle carries a really slow cadence all the time. But if you watch his body is much more like, um, he isn't as solidly planted, I guess, even when he's out of the saddle, he isn't as solidly planted. In other words, it looks like a lot of that energy, he throws in a lot of energy by a lot of upper body movement, mm -hmm. but it isn't but he's directing he's, it well. He's I, kind of, but I feel like he's not maintaining that energy quite as well as Nino oh, does because so he, he's so strong. Him being a bad example of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I see a lot of amateurs, you know, all of us folks, when we, when we get out of the saddle, there's a whole lot of movement and snaky yeah. weirdness I, and, and it's, and it's sure you can, you know, find a way to make it really efficient. But you, I think Nino is a great example of that where he's just so, you know, I guess stable on the bike with his upper body. Yeah, and, and some movement's still gonna take place and some sure. and a lot of that movement is still beneficial. It lends to powering the bike. But that, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about people who ride sloppily because they're trying to to mash a gear that's simply too big for how much power they <laughs> so can like, create and control. It's like you're in over your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Uh, I think Mike, I think it was Mike who said it on our previous podcast for Ironman about running. People have the wet noodle run uh -huh. where their whole body is like yeah, flexible. Yeah. Awful. And it's just a yeah. it's just a matter of time before that breaks. Down. Yeah, you can look at all the, the pros and like their body is rigid and the power is going through their legs. Yeah. Um the they pass stress where it needs to go and they handle that appropriately rather yeah. than just letting it end up where it ends up. The other thing, this is kind of related, is how often this is I get this in workout text, but you're in an interval on trainer road and let's say you're doing X amount of watts, the watts doesn't change, and then some text comes up and goes, Hey, relax your upper body. <laughs> right? Like yeah. you're still yeah, firm. You're yep, still firm. Still you're strong. just you're, you're you're strong and you're planted, but you're not tense. Rigid. Yeah, rigid. Not rigid. And then you're you do that, and suddenly your heart rate goes down like four beats, and the RP RPE goes falls. down. Yeah, yeah. Yep. everything gets just a little more manageable. It's just like yep. like right now, tense your whole upper body and just try to hold that for like <laughs> yeah. minutes at a time. It makes that's everything hard. Yeah. It is. And I, I would argue- And people like carry that into the interval, carry it past the end of the interval. You just yeah. never really train yourself to let it go. Yeah. I'd, I'd argue though, as you're stronger, 
you, that you don't do that as much because your sure. body naturally like a strong yeah. core and stuff. Your body naturally uh, holds yourself better mm -hmm. than when you're weaker and you're just kind of like, so and I'd, you're stressed I'd out. I'd argue yeah. what happens, and it's, this is especially evident in mountain biking, is that you end up putting so much tension through your hands, you know, wrists, arms, elbows, shoulders, chest, <clears throat> and back that you actually end up disengaging much of your core and you just end up carrying that stress up there because it feels like your you know, job accomplished. There's a lot of stress. And yeah. Remember when we worked with Lee McCormick, when we were in that position and he was making sure that our core was engaged instead of just our upper body and then our hips. Yeah. And he was making sure that it was all the way through. It's a matter of linkage between your hip girdle and your shoulder yes. girdle. If, if there's loss in there, it, it manifests in so many unfavorable ways. Absolutely does. Yep. That's a great way to put it. And one rider that I would point to that does an exam, a great example of this on descending is Richie Rude, uh, mm -hmm. the Enduro World Series champ. If you watch him, he, first of all, he's built like an, a, a stump of an oak. He's just <laughs> so broad. Um, but he does a fantastic job of, if you watch him, his core is never the, the bendy S part. That's the variable in the equation. Mm. It's a very, he's stable all the way through. Um, and then if you think just in the cycling side of things, if you look at like a, a bad time trialist on a bike, when the time trials work around in something like the tour oh, of Utah and you see a guy that watch you can too. tell never rides a TT bike. But then you see somebody like, you know, Rowan Dennis or somebody else. Tony Martin. Just, yeah, Tony Martin, just stable. They're yeah. just so stable all the way through. So. The other thing I learned from you when I first started mountain biking is my hands would get so tired because <laughs> I would grip on for life. Yeah. And you said, imagine that they're like, like for toilet paper, the yeah. kind of like cardboard rolls, mm -hmm. and you're trying not to crush those. Yeah. Like you don't need, your body will react and squeeze harder if you're going to fall. You need um, And that opened up like a whole bunch of having my whole body relax with the hands. Yeah. But think about this. How often do, are you jamming on a road climb and you are, Death yeah, ripped. you're seated and you're just, I am going to like uh, disintegrate the carbon fiber <laughs> yeah. uh, on my handlebars. Yeah. And that is not making you go faster. It's, uh, it, it's actually making you go slower, I would argue. And there's just more energy to be able to, to grip that. It's wasted tension. And you can also end up working against yourself. I'll do climbing drills out of the saddle or I'll literally just rest my hands on the hood so that I have I can't pull on the bars. Yep. It's not the safest thing to do. I'd recommend doing it on a trainer or if you're going to do it outside on a really flat road. But it, it detrains that that pull press sort of maneuver that's not necessary most of the time. Yep. You need to yank on those bars at particular times, sprinting, yeah. surging, that sort of thing, steep, steep climbs. But for the most part, that upper body is not a, a, a key factor. A 20 minute climb, you don't need to be <laughs> destroying the carbon <laughs> yeah, or exactly, aluminum, right. whatever you're using. Yeah. So yeah, I think that, I um, I guess one thing you could do just on the trainer side of things is you could switch things over to resistance mode. So you can control things perhaps a bit more, mm -hmm. um, and you can carry a lower cadence if you need. I totally do resistance mode, especially for your, uh, for your like drill, mm -hmm. because smart trainers, they don't, they don't, especially big changes like that. It yeah. takes them a while to like, catch up. And they, yeah, can, and, and they can overreact and it can yeah. put you in a spot where like when you drop that cadence down, suddenly you'll be riding at 650 watts for mm -hmm. a short period of time. Someone asked me too, they didn't know how to do this. We're going to have it better on the screen in the future. But uh, if you go into devices and you click, if you tap on or click on whatever your device is, mm -hmm. um, whatever your smart trainer is, there's a uh, modes in there. So you go to resistance and then just do whatever level. It's like one through 10, depending on the trainer. And uh, then you can come back. And I do a lot of my rides actually like that mm -hmm. instead of erg, especially when it's short, because I like to be able to, it engages my mind a little more yeah, sure. yeah. to be able to look at it. And then I do little like cadence changes. Um, and it, I can be really, 
I, I argue I can be more consistent than Erg. Yes. Like when you look at it, I can be smoother than that. And I think that's a good skill to have sure. too, yeah. to be like when you're out on the road, to be able to be smooth rider rather than up and down. It makes you a great companion to ride within a group. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So. And to figure oh, out you how just to... call me a great companion? <laughs> I don't, <laughs> not as great as some, but thanks, Jonathan. Uh, Tanner's question. We're going to get into two more uh, today. And then um, if you're with us on the live stream, stick with us and we'll answer some of the questions you've submitted. Uh, Tanner says, Hey guys, love the podcast and have been listening for a long time now. Awesome content. I have a question on nutrition, particularly trying to lose weight while managing performance gains. I'm five foot seven inches and currently about 165 pounds at about 23% body fat, according to my smart scale. So who knows what smart scale he's on? Chances are at 23%. I don't really know, but five, seven, 165. Maybe are, maybe aren't as long as that scale is consistent you can. That's what matters. Track loss. (laughs) Exactly right. So he says, so I figure I could drop some weight. I won't be starting back into a training plan until December and January. So this time of year, I like to experiment on my own. I've been in the gym lifting maximal weight, kind of like you, Chad, bench PR the other day. Had a boy. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Um, <laughs> Not disclose that number. <laughs> Sorry. 422. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. 420 pounds. Way to go. Um, we just started a whole thread in the forum right there. Yeah. 420 pounds, right? Hmm. Um, so he says, Uh, I've been in the gym lifting maximal weight and complementing this with rides, focusing on several reps of one to two minutes of maximal power output. Basically everything is strength focused. It sounds like a fun way to kind of train after, you know, a whole season of doing something different. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he says, I want to get it. I want to get stronger during this phase as well as lose weight, but I've heard and read on many occasions that this is hard to achieve. I don't completely understand this. If I'm supposed to eat 200 or 2,600 calories a day, but I'm eating 2,200 calories a day. So a 400 calorie deficit. Won't my body just get this extra fuel from fat, meaning that my body is still getting all the fuel it needs and that I should be able to make performance gains still. Yeah. So this is a little bit of bro science that you get inside (laughs) of like bodybuilding stuff is you can't gain muscle without a calorie surplus. And as Tanner, um, at your body fat and I, that's the bro science. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. At, at your body fat, uh, and I, I prove, prove this too, I was at similar body fat, is that you can totally lose lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. I believe with the DEXA scan, I, I lost like, I think it was like 10 pounds of fat or eight pounds of fat and gained seven pounds of muscle. Mm-hmm. And that's another good reason why you do DEXA because the scale wouldn't change much, <laughs> but that's obviously like a great shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is true, Tanner, that this is where the bro science does get in is as you get stronger and stronger and your body fat gets lower and lower, it is extremely hard to gain muscle without having a, a caloric surplus. Um, and then there's uh, people who do weight training or bodybuilding have different amounts and they have, like they call it like a clean bulk where maybe there are 200 calories a day over mm-hmm. and they have the dirty bulk, which is more than they call it the dream bulk. And the dream bulk <laughs> means you eat whatever you want. Like that's the Popeye bulk <laughs> yeah. um, where you eat whatever you want and your body fat shoots up. Was that, was that your bulk plan for a while before you started eating? Clean? I, I, when I was in my lower twenties, um, I could eat a ton of food. Kind of, <laughs> was kind of like Brandon who's here. Yeah. I could eat everything and still be the skinniest person mm-hmm. around. Yeah. And I could, I could dream bulk. It was really hard for me to gain weight. Yeah. Now that I'm 36, 
Doesn't no, happen. It doesn't, no problem. I, <laughs> yeah. I can I can gain ten pounds. Well, and typically when we talk about this, we're talking about high volume training too. Mm-hmm. So people who are trying to do a ton of work and they're restricting their calories, such that the two just don't even closely align yeah. at all. That so gets really tough. Yeah, that, it gets impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't do it. So try to do twenty hours of sweet spot and shave eight hundred calories off of your daily intake. It's not going to happen. It's going to be so. Hard. So there are different situations. You're talking about getting strong and shedding some weight, but you're talking about getting strong in like the strength training sense of things. Those two can work really well together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, especially if you've come into a situation now where you're, you're running that little deficit and then if you're doing a good amount of activity, but not something that's going to wear you down like that. And it's that high intensity stuff. I think a lot of people think that just cause it's high intensity that you don't burn any fat across the board. And, and that's not necessarily the case. Once again, we're talking about a system of faders, not like a intensity mm-hmm. goes up, light switch goes off. And it's the, the stuff you burn after. The exactly. The excess or yep. the, the epoch. Yeah. You keep doing it thereafter. So uh, the last thing I want to say is, uh, people have asked, you know, we, I like the Nokia scale because it syncs to my phone mm-hmm. and I've been getting on the Tanita and the Nokia every day. Uh, unfortunately the Tanita is like 1%, one point higher than the Nokia. So um, you like the Nokia much better. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the, the Tanita is obviously wrong. It's better uh, news. Yeah. But, uh, so far that. it's been consistent one point each time. And we kind of talked about it. All I want is consistency because I don't, I'm using the DEXA as like my real number or mm-hmm. body fat calipers mm-hmm. and the scale I'm using as tracking small stuff, but it, it that too, it changes daily based on, uh, uh, hydration. Yeah, totally. You'll see actually in the image, the thumbnail image for this podcast. If you look on, <clears throat> if you look on uh, blog.trainer.com or on YouTube or anything else, you'll see the scale that we had in there. Um, and that's actually the, the Garmin scale that I've been using the index and I've been using that one, uh, and it checks directly for me straight across the board with my Tanita. So, um, it's actually, I think the most variance I've seen is 0.2%. So it's pretty good. Um, so yeah, there's, there's plenty of different options. Also, in some cases I've heard of people using these scales and just not having good results with them. So I don't know if it's kind of like optical heart rate where like (laughs) for some people, like with Chad and I, with pasty skin, optical heart rate works great for us. It's the only perk of being pasty. I think it's the low, uh, (laughs) sorry, it's the (laughs) the only perk that we have of being pasty is that heart rate monitors work on our wrists. Uh, the, uh, at the extremes, it can be kind of hard. So when you're yeah. like really low body fat, people get weird numbers and <laughs> like boohoo. Sorry for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's still uh, like one of my favorite stories is Keegan was all excited to get this because he heard about us doing the DEXA scans, Keegan Swenson. So he went and did a bod pod one where like they pressurize a thing and it just threw the error code. <laughs> That's all it threw with him. Impossible. Because <laughs> he was that skinny. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Uh, the last one was from Ruse. I assume that's how you pronounce it. Uh, if not, uh, I apologize. It says, Hey guys, big fan of the podcast and having listened to about 90 so far and together with my girlfriend, we recently became trainer road users as well. Awesome. Uh, I've learned a lot from you guys and really appreciate it. Our pleasure. That's the whole point is to, to help y'all it says, uh, I read nutrient timing last week on holiday after Chad recommended it and then started sweet spot basement volume to kick off my training for next season. One of the first workouts is Taku. That's T A K U. And Chad's notes labor the point about the benefits of recovery and active recovery makes sense as it might be the first recovery ride for, uh, ever for riders that are new to structured training. Mm-hmm. It's like you thought of it, Chad. It's amazing. huh? Uh, he says it got me thinking, and this is a great point that he makes is the real benefit of active recovery actually that it makes the muscles insulin sensitive again, giving you another shot at the recovery window. He says in quotes to get nutrients into them as discussed in nutrient timing. 
Does that then suggest that doing nutrition, and he says once again in quotes, properly for recovery rides is actually really important if you want to take full advantage and that active recovery is about priming your muscles for nutrition-driven recovery as much as possible while trying to limit or prevent further muscle damage. Uh, he mentions the temptation is not to bother with specific nutrition because the rides are so easy, but if you do your nutrient, nutri nutrient timing, taking on carbs and protein during and after you'll restore glycogen and rebuild muscle faster than if you stayed in an inactive insulin resistant state, or if you didn't take the opportunity to fuel. So it's an interesting theory. I mean, usually we talk about, you know, like, um, it being good to, the, you know, flush byproduct and that sort of stuff, or yeah, just I'll, accumulate I'll stress number that intended benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'll just say potentially this could be one of the benefits that you achieve. Uh, it, it depends what you want out of it. Are you looking for an opportunity to further your post-workout nutrition or, you know, pre-next workout nutrition? Then yeah, that could be a case for, uh, increasing your in the moment insulin sensitivity so that you can uptake more nutrients into the cell and pack in a bit of glycogen and, mm -hmm. and further muscle recovery, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's not my intention. And there, it flies in the face of what a lot of my attentions are with the recovery rides, especially the uh, same day recovery rides where you're doing a, a pre depleted or at some level of muscle depletion, glycogen depletion is still present and you're getting on and a lot of the cell signaling and the genetic signaling that they were after with those would be negated or avoided mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you, you know, took on food at that point. Mm -hmm. So could work. I don't see why not. If that's what you want, if you want another opportunity to fuel, maybe for whatever reason you feel the next workout is going to require a higher level of repletion, glycogen repletion, then this could be a good way to do it. There is evidence that supports that even low level exercise does increase insulin sensitivity. So it doesn't mean you have to do a heck of a lot of work to, to improve your insulin sensitivity. Hmm. So, yep. But let me talk about what my intended benefits are and what most, I think, coaches' intended benefits of recovery rides or recovery workouts are. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is what I just mentioned, the, the cell adaptation that takes place and therefore the, or ideally, the endur endurance performance improvement that comes as a consequence of it. And that's all down to that cell signaling. Mm -hmm. Increases in mitochondrial content, so your ability to aerobically metabolize substrate, you know, fat and carbohydrate. Increased capillaries, you know, more more blood distribution and removal from the actual muscle bed, mm -hmm. increase in aerobic enzymes so that you can do more work aerobically, the, the materials needed to metabolize um, carbohydrate and fat aerobically become, uh, you get more of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then we don't talk about this very often, but it's a big get with recovery rides is lymph drainage. Mm. So the interstitial fluid, all the fluid that's around your cells, it's on a whole different system. It's on a lymph system. And that lymph system isn't driven by by heart rate, it's driven by muscle contraction. So you get on the bike and even at low levels of muscle contraction, you're actually facilitating that lymph removal. And that's a big, that's an important thing. And you talk about getting bloated and looking puffy and edemic and all that, that that's typically excess lymph in the system. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get out when, when you kick back and, and skip these low intensity recovery rides or go for a walk for that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course we want to stimulate blood flow for all the obvious reasons. I mean, repair and, you know, stuff to the blood or to the muscle and, and from the muscle. You reduce stress psychologically, just getting on the bike and going for an easy spin can do wonders for your brain and for your cognition. I noticed that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, reducing inflammation and not just in the muscle, but you know, other, other aspects of the body 
And there's a potential for additional fiber recruitment. So if you get on the muscle or you get on the bike when your muscles are in a fatigue state, those more fatigued muscle fibers are less likely to be recruited, whereas other muscles that don't typically contribute to the pedal stroke might get, might get recruited. Hmm. So now you're, you're increasing the level of neuromuscular innervation to other muscle fibers that are there but ne don't necessarily get used when you ride your bike. So the cooked fibers get to take a break and the underutilized fibers get to contribute. Hmm. And then as far as, you know, losing or, you know, suffering any, uh, he said, prevent further muscle damage, ingest some protein prior to your recovery rights. Yeah. You're not going to get a big insulin response. You're not going to mess with, at least not to the same level, all those uh, cell signaling responses we're trying to get by doing a glycogen depleted, depleted. Yeah. So, you know, just, just take on a bit of, uh, feed your muscles, basically take on a bit of protein. Yeah. I can totally see the paleo guy right now. And he's saying it's because our bodies are supposed to eat after chasing down some sort of an antelope or something like that. Yeah. And that's how, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. And if it's something where you feel like you really want to feed, I can see this being helpful. If you are doing a recovery ride and th the next day, you have something pretty big, sure. uh, that's, you know, then you want to make, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I, I'd never considered it. I, it's an interesting idea. How low is a recovery ride a percent of FTP? What do I recommend in the recovery yeah. rides? Um, it's, it can be a bit subjective, but nothing over 60%. So I like it anywhere from 45 to 55. I mean, I want it to feel easy I the like whole the time. So <laughs> I, I did, I've been doing 45% uh -huh. and I really like 45%. And last year with my big increase, I was doing a lot of 45s before my big weekend. Sure. Mm -hmm. I like 45 for an hour. And I also feel that it, it's a good fat burner. Because mm -hmm. it's so low, and based on that, um, yeah, those gas exchange tests, we saw yeah. it's so low that it's like almost completely There's fat. Very little demand for glucose when you're working yeah. that that easily. Mm -hmm. So I haven't told you guys that, this yet, but I've decided to burn myself out on high volume. Uh, so we saw base high volume again. Yeah. So I'm one weekend. Great choices. I've, I've tried this three times before, and every time I fail. <laughs> so what, do you, time, what are you going to do differently this, this time? This time will be different because. Um, so how, how the difference between that and mid volume are basically the hard workouts are there's more intervals and they're longer. I think I respond really well to those two hours and 90 minute sweet spot intervals, Whew. but the Wednesday not, not work intervals, but workouts, workouts, yeah. two hour, 90 minute sweet spot interval might Whew. be pretty tough. That'd be hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Wednesday ones were more aerobic, like the, the pet it yeah. and kind mm -hmm. of backsterish ones. I'm taking those out. I was just going to say, even those can be destructive. I mean, they're, they're too much for me. Yeah. I know for sure. I, I, I feel worse after those days, not better. Does this mean you're those going aren't... to drop down the occurrence of Baxter in your ride feed? Yeah. Yeah. But People see, those like... aren't, those aren't recovery rides. Those are, those are endurance. Yeah. Rides. Yeah. Those are aerobic rides. So those yeah. aren't recovery rides. There, there are people that are like, there's a drinking game about that. I think with this podcast, yeah. sober there's people, be some sober folks now, um, but I'm doing <laughs> the, the, the 45, <laughs> at least my plan that I put so far on trainer Road's calendar now available. Trainer <laughs> Com. Subtle plug. Um, I have the 45 minutes. I have, sorry, one hour at 45% FTP. And that's a custom workout that I created with our workout creator. Mm -hmm. And then the question is on Fridays, it's like Pettit is scheduled. That even that might be too much. I'm going to try to do it, yeah. but I don't want what, what, what could be hard is Thursday's a 90 minute Saturday and Sunday are two hours. So on Friday, mm. if Friday puts me back at all, Saturday and Sunday get really hard. And exactly. So, yeah, they could be too hard for me because I, the like the regular high volume is too much for me. Um, some people would, you know, it's just right. And some people it's too, or not enough. But just the idea of 
kind of some of those aerobic rides, taking those out and putting these type of rides in, that's also easier mentally. That's an across the board recommendation. <clears throat> Anytime you're struggling with your training and your hard days, you, you just can't do what's necessary to, to, you know, hit the numbers you're supposed to hit, derive the benefit where that is intended. It can be simply because those easy days aren't easy enough. I mean, who, mm -hmm. who knew? Everybody knows. But 65% might not be easy enough. 55% might not be easy enough. So, mm -hmm. but I do still want you to get on the bike. Yeah. I mean, there are some days where, you know, I'm just too tired to even throw a leg over the saddle. So you don't, but most of the time you can get on for 30 minutes at 45% of threshold, derive a benefit, be recovered, be fresh for those upcoming rides. And, and you're not off the mark. You didn't fail because you decided to take a ride that was 90 minutes at 65% and tone it down to 30 minutes at 45%. You might think you're not, nothing is happening, but based on what you oh, just no. said, there is. and I, I totally feel that I get every time I do a 45% one, I lean out a bit and like, it's probably all in my head, but I'm like, Ooh, your arms got more vascular. <laughs> like it's just, if it, it motivates you. Exactly. Thing, yeah. yeah right? But no, that's some and, of that's real. Yeah. Uh, like I can't watch TV at the really intense stuff and even sweet spot. It can get, I switch between TV and music, mm -hmm. but at 45%, I can watch down, downtown Abbey. Like, read I can watch anything. <laughs> I can read my dear recovery rides. Yeah. Process. I was reading yesterday. Words. It was, it's, yeah. it's fun. Like mm -hmm. it's the de-stressor, but you're yeah. also improving your fitness, even though it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, awesome. That covers it for this week in terms of the questions that we'll be covering that have been submitted. Uh, if you are with us live, stay with us and we'll answer some of the questions you submitted as we've been talking throughout the podcast. Uh, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on pretty much any podcast app you use. Uh, you can tap the subscribe thing. That way you don't miss an episode when it comes up. Uh, you can also subscribe on YouTube. So then you get notifications of when we go live, which is a helpful thing to do. If you're curious about what we're doing at Trainer Road, you can go to trainerroad.com and you can check out all the stuff that we're building there head over to the forum, forum.trainerroad.com. And that's all the places that you can keep in touch with us and learn more. Uh, if you are a listener to the podcast, please share it. We appreciate that. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.